This is a Federal News Network podcast. The government's technical standards agency is taking on a potentially era-defining issue. How should the government and the nation manage the risks of artificial intelligence? The National Institute of Standards and Technology is just starting this work, and it's already confronting some tough questions. For the latest... Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Justin, tell us about the conference workshop, I guess, NIST is uh, right in the midst of. Right. Well, NIST is hosting its first meetings this week, public meetings, on the development of what it's calling the AI Risk Management Framework. And what that means in plain speak is NIST is going to write guidance for federal agencies, companies, and other organizations so that they can develop and use artificial intelligence and manage all those risks that we're always hearing about and, tr- and trust that these AI systems, whatever they are, are going to work and, and not lead to unintended outcomes. So there's a law, the National Artificial Intelligence Initiative Act passed last year, directed this to come up with this set of guidance measures. It directs them to kind of cover the, the, the landscape of different AI risks in terms of explainability, transparency, safety, privacy, security, all those issues that we're hearing about. Bias and ethics are also a big part of this. So we know that AI products are already out there today, and we know agencies are already moving forward on their own AI strategies. Don Graves, Deputy Secretary of the Commerce Department, kicked off this week's meetings and described how NIST is kind of filling a void with this new project. Right now, A growing number of entities are producing targeted guidance to address AI-associated risks. But what we don't have and what we really need is a much more holistic, actionable, widely accepted approach to address risks before, during, and after AI products and services are introduced to the marketplace. And that's Don Graves, the Deputy Secretary of Commerce. And Justin, artificial intelligence is kind of in the eye of the beholder. Is NIST doing the basic job of defining what the heck it actually is and how it should be defined? Well, they're taking a broad as approach as possible. Their work is supposed to be general. It could apply to, you know, an automation system, a machine learning system, all the way up to general AI that is still very much in the futuristic realm where you're talking about, you know, machines that are moving around making decisions largely on their own, although we're already starting to get into that with with some areas like autonomous vehicles. But the, the guidance is supposed to be technology agnostic and application agnostic, while still taking into account real-world examples of applications. Elham Tabasi is the lead for the Information Technology Laboratory at NIST, and she pointed out that if you're talking about autonomous vehicles, then you know safety is the big risk factor there. But if you're talking about a facial recognition system, then bias is the big thing you have to worry about. So it kind of gives you a flavor of how NIST is is kind of approaching these different applications from an agnostic perspective. Here, here's Tabasi talking more about that. We are hoping that we can come up with some sort of a taxonomy of risk and then also a shared understanding for each of them that is sort of generalizable to any applications and context. Elam Tabasi of NIST. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. And tell us more about this conference. What else are they covering? Well, in addition to how NIST should categorize risk, there's been discussions on how sectors like banking, housing, and healthcare are specifically using AI and approaching risks that are unique to their lines of business. Uh, They're discussing technical characteristics of AI system trustworthiness. How can you actually engineer a system so that you trust what they are doing? One of the really interesting uh, discussions I heard so far centers on how AI is being used to 
recruit and hire people these days. It's, it's something that's already happening with automated applicant assessments, digital interviews, and, and data analytics to sift through resumes. So Alexander Reeve Givens is the president of the Center for Democracy and Technology, and, and she brought up how this kind of pr- creates a little bit of a risk in, in how you, you might approach using AI for hiring. What could be a fairly low risk proposition, you know, the idea of an individual hiring manager perhaps being biased in the decisions they make. When you suddenly take that back to an AI hiring tool that is being used across industry, even if there's a small risk of bias in that tool, there's a chance that it now becomes the industry standard and is foreclosing people from economic opportunities at scale. So that presents some unique questions for us as we think about what risk looks like in this space. And that's Alexandra Reeve-Givens of the Center for Democracy and Technology. I guess to put it in regular English, you don't want to use an intelligence system to hire dummies or the wrong people for your job, I guess. And Justin, what comes next? So NIST is having a major workshop for themselves and involving a lot of stakeholders. What comes next? Well, NIST has until January 1st, 2023 to draft the initial version of this framework. And that's over a year away, but given this sort of monumental broad task, Uh, NIST officials say it's actually not that much time. So NIST will release a draft concept uh, of this, of the sort of framework, a skinny version of the framework, if you will, later this year for public comment. There will be another public set of meetings early next year before they publish a draft version of the actual framework next summer. It's all coming together over this next year or so. And January 1st, 2023 is the big date to look for the actual first initial version of this framework, which will then be updated over time as the technology and and other things progress. And NIST is pretty meticulous about how they go about drafting their special publications, their frameworks, their guidance. And when that draft comes out, there will probably be three or six months of industry comment on that before they do a final version. And as you say, probably a year after that, if I know NIST, it will be time for another revision, another round of public comments. And besides the Center for Democracy and Technology, any other external groups involved at the workshop? Several groups, advocacy groups like like the center there, but you also had big tech companies. You had Google, Microsoft representatives. You also had Frank Lucas from Oklahoma. He's the uh, Republican ranking member of the Committee on Science, Space, and Technology in the U.S. House of Representatives uh, give an opening speech to, to start the conference. So this has got a lot of different people very interested, obviously, in, in this, this big issue of artificial intelligence that is becoming so ubiquitous throughout society, and and that's got a lot of people both excited and concerned about the possibilities. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author, she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.